I'm Andy Crouch, inviting you to download and listen to the new Beer Edge podcast, a source for news, information, and insight regarding the brewing industry and the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. The show, co-hosted by John Hall and I, talks with key players on the front lines of the beer business to give you insights and advice on how to navigate these uncharted waters. The Beer Edge podcast is available on all major platforms, or you can visit us at beeredge.com podcasts. Thanks for your support. I'm John Hall. This is Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. And this is Ethan Tripp of Fermentary Form in Philadelphia. But I also I also am, am um, relatively forgiving of of things being not quite exactly perfect. I I I'm not a huge believer in 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 perfection in the way that it gets talked about in brewing a lot. Welcome to the show. This interview is recorded in late February in Philadelphia. That we're airing it in April speaks to the theme of the conversation I had with Ethan Tripp of Fermentary Form. Patience. That's what his blendery is all about, and it has been to the great benefit of the beer fans that have found their way to his doorstep. I'll tell you more about it in a moment, but first, I'm happy to say that this episode is sponsored by New Holland Brewing. Dragon's Milk began as a single-barrel experiment almost 20 years ago at New Holland Brewing Company and has since grown to become the best-selling American-made stout. Aged for at least 90 days in bourbon barrels, rich notes of roasted malt, chocolate, and vanilla make for a deliciously smooth and drinkable brew. Whether it's sitting by a bonfire or virtually toasting over Zoom, share a legend with Dragon's Milk today. Learn more at dragonsmilk.com. Also, by Sweetwater Brewing. Sweetwater has been independently brewing tasty brews in the heart of Atlanta since 1997. Next time you're stocking up on essentials, grab a 6 or 12 pack of the always fresh, always heady OG Sweetwater IPA. The one in the yellow pack lays down hints of grapefruit and pine on the palate with a clean and bright finish. It's the go-to brew you order without having to look at the menu. Need something easy drinking? Reach for the classic 420 Extra Pale Ale, tried, tested, and true. A tasty West Coast-style Extra Pale Ale with stimulating hop character and finishes nice with a clean, crisp taste. The world might be on fire right now, but you can't go wrong with a couple of craft OGs from Sweetwater. Hit up their beer finder at sweetwaterbrew.com find. And of course, Beer Edge, the newsletter for beer professionals. Help support journalism covering the beer industry by subscribing to the twice-weekly newsletter. Learn more at our revamped website, BeerEdge.com. So, Ethan Tripp was a home brewer before he went pro. But from an early point on in his career, he decided that he was going to take his time both with opening his own place, with friends of course, and the beers he wanted to make. He wants to make deliberate beers that are rooted in tradition, but also isn't afraid of trying new things or using different ingredients to see how they develop. Time seems to move slowly here at Fermentary Form, and that's by design. He's had to learn patience, and that's something regular fans of his beers had to practice as well, since not everything is always available when they might want it. We recorded in the Blendery's tiny tasting room, well before the world went into isolation, and sampled some beers that are dear to his heart and showcase the real talent he has for creating something special inside of a green bottle. It's not a brewery. That's important to note. So what is it, you might ask? I wondered the same thing, and that's where I started with Trip. Here's the conversation. 
What is fermentary form? Um, well, we call it a fermentary and blendery, um, and that's sort of a way of getting around the brewing title um, because we don't have a brewery here. Um, and I didn't want to take up the mantle of brewer necessarily uh, because I felt like that wasn't actually what we were focusing on. Um, and I certainly am uh, present and active during brew days. Um, which don't happen here. Which don't happen here. Um, and <clears throat> I'm, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm actually quite particular about every part of that. Um, and, uh, but I still feel like um, I have too much respect for the people who do that every day to like necessarily put that in my, my title. Um, so I don't know what to call myself most of the time. Sometimes I just say brewer just because I don't want to have a whole long conversation about it. <laughs> um, but what, what is primary here is, um, controlling, um, mixed fermentations and, and barrel aging and, and, and sort of that shepherding of a beer through those complicated processes and, yeah. um, you know, getting to something that we, we enjoy and we hope other people enjoy. So blundery is in the name, and that to me is is a skill that, sure, brewer's easy to describe. I think being a blender, it, it, I mean, it's such a different skill set. Sure. How, how do you how do you describe what your job is as a blender, and <laughs> and, and how and how do you approach it? Um. It's it's hard not to use some kind of analogy to to partial blindness. Well, good. I, I mean, I, I I hope you would just because, like, yeah, yeah. It's it's um you know you're you're out there in the wilderness with a lot of um, unknowns, and I think at least for me, mostly it's working with sense and memory and uh, you know experience and and trying to put together this sort of mystery of um, complex interactions in a liquid that's going to be evolving for 10 years. I mean, when it comes to the barrel-aged beers, like, I think a lot of them could go out that far. Um, and we're generally thinking more around the five-year mark um, in terms of, of, of quality. But, you know, you you have to be aware that what you are tasting when you are blending is not the final thing. Okay. Yeah. Um, there, there are certain complex interactions that I'm aware of so that when I taste things, I can say, well, this has this thing right now, which means this is what's going on. And if I put it with this, what I'm expecting is that it does what I think it's going to do and that those things dovetail in three months, something like that. But see, that's a very human reaction, right? Where we think about the passage of time in minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years, et cetera. So when you're saying some for 10, some for five, the liquid doesn't necessarily know that. Uh, no, I mean, it's, it's yeah, you, you can only think about it in terms of the things that you can understand yourself. And, and like, for instance, I'm not a scientist, so um, other people have a scientific approach to doing things, but... Um, you know, I look at data and I look at spreadsheets and things like that and, and, um, they just don't go so well 
for for my thought process you know um i like the terminology organoleptic when it comes to the sorts of things um and you know it's it's that process of of tasting and thinking and um <clears throat> keeping track of where barrels are going and understanding um what's come before and um you know a lot of a lot of what we do to make a new blend is go back and open old blends and 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 look at what we did for that blend and it's like well okay where did we think it was going to go versus where it went um can you use a specific example of a beer that you've made that you can look back and then be able to look forward just so i have a frame of reference as as, as we kind of go on in this conversation well one of one of the things that's very mysterious about um the kind of barrel aged beer that we make which is uh i would say a a relative of uh, the lambic tradition although i wouldn't use that word as a descriptor um it's it's definitely heavy inspiration from that category um one of the things that I find in a lot of those beers is certain um, novel esters in the aroma, a certain kind of minerality, um, and and a, a roundness and like full palate character. And those are things I'm really looking for. Um, I I had some inklings about how to get some of those things, but the novel esters were a really tricky one. Um, you don't really get them in the barrels. I mean, if you're if you're really good at sensing maybe you could pick up that those things are going to come down the road mm -hmm. but that was one of those things where i'm like i have no idea how this is gonna happen but we'll package some beer and we'll we'll see and <clears throat> before i even got around to packaging i had maybe a little too much co2 pressure on the tank just for preservation and i go to sample the tank one day and it had lightly carbonated and all of a sudden there were esters that weren't there before. And that sort of always sticks out in my mind. And then I was thinking, well, if those, th are, those, if those are there after packaging, I'd be really happy. So we packaged and you know, everything here is, is bottle conditioned. And so it bottle conditioned for a month or two. And I remember opening the first bottle and this beautiful bouquet of esters were there that I was super jazzed about. And now that's just one of those processes that I know I know is just out of my hands a bit. Like it's going to happen. But you know how to shepherd it, it to yeah. you hope. And well, and, and also that, that the, it's easy for me to forget to say this stuff sometimes, but it was a verification that things in the process had gone right that I wasn't even aware of, right? So, so I was casting a net in the direction that I thought was gonna be the correct direction. And that was a validation that it was, in fact, the right direction. So it's like, okay, good. How do we go on from here? Where did you originally find your inspiration for these styles of beers that you make? Um, rapturous enthusiasm for the ones that exist. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I... I, uh, I, I see myself and the brewery is like existing in a long tradition. And part of what attracts me to um, this, this area is that it, they are such simple beers made with such simple means. And outside of all of the technological imaginations that we can uh, employ in the current era, you know, you had people discovering something 
um, like so many of the wonderful things that we have now um, in any culture are, are, are discoveries. They're mm -hmm. the things people backed into by accident and were smart enough to say, hey, this is, this is something. Like, let's, let's, let's try to set this up again and see if it works. And I just personally have so much more affinity for that than the top-down control of every element, you know? I like the idea of um, letting nature in and um, living with it and learning from it and proceeding from there as opposed to buying a lot of control equipment, you know? Just one is more appealing, you know? And, and so this tradition, um, or these multiple traditions um, that I have an affinity for, they're all places where I see some attitude towards that that I appreciate, you know? Um, and this is, of course, outside of being um, a, a huge fan of the way they taste. I mean, yeah. that, that should be a given, but um, the philosophical well, yeah, but, aspect But that is doesn't there. necessarily mean that it has to be a given, right? I think that there's a lot of people who have opened up in the last couple of years who have a wild program or have a spontaneous or, you know, just a generic sour program, and they're doing it because, well, that's what they think the market wants right now and i guess it does in, in 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 certain things but there has to be or at least i would hope there would be passion or at least general enthusiasm or general interest in the beers that you're making i'm always surprised when i go to a brewery and people are like yeah you know i make hazies but i really wish i could just do you know the west coast that i came up on it's like well yeah i mean that's can, but that's a delicate topic. I mean, first of all, I would say... Good, let's grab it with both hands. Yeah, I would say uh, far be it from me to um, criticize anyone who's trying to run a business. Sure. You know, um, there, and, and, and this has always been a business. And um, there's a weird idea now that, like, people just started becoming kind of schmucky about it yesterday. But if you know anything about like British brewing history, you know that there's been a lot of bad actors for a long time and and still a lot of good prevailed. And so, you know, while I would say that certainly there are people who make business decisions um, that have less passion in them. It doesn't mean that they're bad people. It doesn't mean that. Those, oh, it wasn't. Those I are, wasn't saying that they were. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I just think that there can be, a, you know, sometimes in these conversations, it's like you know, people can get talked about or Bruce can be talked about in this, in this light. And, and I guess I'm just laying it out there to say that, um, while you are going to have some people out there who are, who are genuinely doing things that are wrong, right? Um, that's one category. You're going to have a category of people out there who are just trying to make their business successful and they're trying things and they're not always working. Right. Um, and then you probably have several other categories, but I think, you know, in, in, in general, um, you know, I, I guess I'm just trying to say that um, it's it's hard to talk about without, um, you know, maybe casting aspersions sometimes, you know. And I don't want to do that personally, um, um, although, you know, we've all had experiences with things where we're just, you know, you're, you're aware that there's a lack of passion there. Um, and I, I, feel, I feel bad for breweries that are... Um, in a position where they feel like they have to do certain things in order to pay the bills, um, that that's difficult, you know, that's, and, and if it means you make beers, you're not passionate about that's, that sucks. I'd rather if people didn't have to do that. 
Um, well, that brings me back to, to sort of where I, I, I was curious about because you're only doing these beers. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean only in a, in, a, in a bad way, but like you've made a very conscious decision that this, like, we are going to be a blundery that does this type of beer. Um, and that's it. Like, mm-hmm. you're not going to walk in here and get a lager. You're not going to walk in here and get a quick turnaround IPA. You're not going to get, you know, any variety of stout as it were. It's here's our bottle conditioned. Here's our few draft offerings, uh, all done in the, you know, lambic tradition, although, although you don't like to use that word. There's also a, a farmhouse ale tradition. Farmhouse ale yeah, tradition. Yeah. And, but that was a conscious decision on your part. And from a business standpoint, like that can't be easy when you're talking five years, 10 years out for, for some of these beers. Um, well, or I, I mean, maybe it is, maybe you're just deep pocketed and, you know, no, I wouldn't say that, that it's, I mean, j- just to address one thing, I mm-hmm. mean, the, 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 we're not doing any beers that have a production of 10 years specifically. So okay. just, it's, it's most of the things here, I would say the maximum production time for the, the most difficult thing is somewhere close to four years. Okay. Right. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, I, I think, <clears throat> I think that decision was twofold. Uh, one, um, this is what I'm passionate about. And the thought of trying to force myself to, uh, adapt that passion to things that I just didn't really care that much about personally. Um, it was just, it was just a bit too far. You know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to try to create something, I'm going to have to have some kind of ideals. And, and, and for me, it was, I really want to explore this category. I have things to say in this domain. And if I start doing things that I'm not passionate about now, what do I do if those are really successful? <laughs> right. Then I'm in a terrible position. It's golden handcuffs. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's part of why we don't have a brewery here. I mean, we really can't afford to have one. Um, so, finding that out, finding that out that we didn't actually have to have a brewery was a huge thing. I mean, there are versions of this business plan that included, you know, regular clean brew pub beers, right? You know, um, and looking at, at looking at those plans and thinking about where to get money from and all this stuff, I, you know, again, not casting aspersions on anyone else, but I started to feel incredibly cold. You know, I just didn't, I started to feel like I I was, I was back at the office and, um, it, yeah, just put a chill over the whole thing. Um, you know, I am in, uh, or or I I did find myself in a position where I had some financial flexibility. So there is that. Yeah. Um, but we've made a lot of conscious decisions uh, and, and, and some of them were just factors of the philosophy I was speaking about before, where it's like, we don't need really complicated equipment to make these beers. There's no temperature control here. There's no glycol. Um, everything here is, is done in the simplest way possible. And we expend manpower, physical strength first before machines do things. If we can get, if we can, you know, um, we also don't have the brewery installation, which in so many ways is way more complicated than people think. Oh yeah. Um, and that saves us a lot of money. Um, you know, I'm still doing everything myself, um, with help from others, but I'm, 
you know, I'm, I'm the person who's here making everything. Um, all those things are, are so that we can try this. And I still think we're trying it, you know, like I, I, I still see this as an attempt. Um, and that's an interesting way of thinking about it, right? Because I mean, you've been doing this for for a couple of years now. Like, yeah, yeah, it's not. Are you still in dress rehearsal? Is mm. this? Uh, I don't know if I'd use the terminology dress rehearsal, but um, I I feel like this is. Um, I don't know how I put it. It's it, it's a when you're saying attempt. It's I mean, it's it's. We're we're still figuring out how this thing works, huh? And you know, I mean, we we're still only open for one like uh, pre-announced day or pre-scheduled day a week. You know, um, we we have have one person working for us part time. You know, and and even that was kind of like a, a big deal for me. You know. Um, we still don't see ourselves as kind of like a, a proper brewery. Uh, I, I see it more as like people trying to do something, um, you know, carefully and attentively and, and, and hoping that good things come of it. Um, if we do a good job, you know, um, as, as you're saying this, I, before we started recording, I, I, I said I really wanted to talk about patience with you. And in my previous interviews with you and conversations and uh, drinking sessions, it, it, it's come up over and over again. And everything that you just said sort of plays into that as well. Of, And I apologize because I, 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 I guess I'm usually in the mindset of talking with breweries and talking with places where it's like, you know, well, this is our one-year plan. This is our five-year. This is our, and and it seems like you guys are just on this trajectory where it's just going to lead you where it leads you, and that plays into that patience role as well. Sure. Like it, in the same way that you're letting the beer speak to you when the beer is ready, or that the beer is being nurtured in a certain way to get it to where you want it to be. You're you're. It seems like you're treating the business the same way. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, um, I. I, I work in long time scales. Um, that's just how I've always been personally. Um, you know, patience is certainly an aspect of it. Um, but it's also a kind of patient caution where I'm, I'm hyper aware that any little thing can change trajectory. And I want to make sure, even if it's just buying a better pump that 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 thing is going to do what I think it's going to do and it's going to move us in the right direction and it's not going to cost us anything in the long run that's going to hurt the business. Now, that might sound silly, you know, just it's just a pump. But that, however much that costs, you know, we're still in a tentative or a tenuous position here um, with, with the building and with the construction nearby and... Um, I, People who even come here often may not be aware of uh, how, you know, I mean, this place could disappear overnight, you know. Um, and so I'm thinking in terms of that. It's, 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 it's careful, it's cautious, it's long time scale, and, and, and yeah, it's patient. But not indecisiveness. No, 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 no. Um, 
yeah, and I think that's a key point. Um, I, I think about every aspect of everything we do all the time. I can't stop thinking about it. Um, so everything here is, is <laughs> incredibly deliberate, uh, sometimes to a fault, because um, I may choose to labor over something that we should have done six months ago for another two months because I can't move towards it if I haven't decided yet that it's the right thing for what we're doing. And, and that's because, you know, the, the liquid in the glass and the experience of being in the place are the most important things. Um, I want, I want people, whenever they taste something from, from here to say, um, that's delicious. That's, that's, that's giving people, um, joy when they taste something and, uh, you know, making them think or whatever that that's, that's the fun of it is, 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 um, presenting someone with something that, um, is delicious and hopefully has depth. Um, but also, um, I really care about people coming here and experiencing the place and talking to us and, and what that all feels like to them. And we've got people who come here every time we're open, they, they treat it like their second living room. And I couldn't be happier at that fact. Um, and so when I'm thinking about moving things forward, I think about them too, you know, can they still come here and treat it like their living room? I mean, we could, we could open up every Saturday and have a complete nightmare in here and make a lot of money. I mean, when, when we you're don't. saying in here, but I, I mean, this space that we're in can maybe hold 15 people comfortably. I mean, certainly more, but yeah, I mean, with, with the, uh, with little, know, I'm a big we have guy, a little bit yeah. more space around the back. So okay. I would say you can, you can comfortably fit about 30 in here. Okay. But you're literally, I mean, the way that we're sitting right now is your barrels are right behind you. Like your yes. barrels are, are, are here. And when you're inviting people into their second living room, uh, you're also <laughs> letting them get super up close and personal uh, to these beers yes. uh, you know, that, that you're making as well. Uh, and I'll point out that right now you are you have a, a really fancy looking corkscrew uh, <laughs> going there. It's like a scissor list. Yeah, check this out. That's really cool. Yeah, this is a nod to Phantom. <coughs> I don't think I've seen one like that Dan before. Danny's had one of these for a really long time. And um, Excuse me. unfortunately, someone stole it not too long ago. Um, From here? No, from, from Phantom. Oh, from Phantom. Um, and uh, it, some kind soul found one and sent it to him. Okay. So he has one again, but um, that was where I first saw it, and I was just like, that is a cool piece of equipment. Uh, it's a really cool thing. I'll put it up on the uh, Beer Edge Instagram page. I'll take a picture of it. Um, but when you have people here in the living room and they get a sense for, uh, or treating it like a living room, and they have a sense for the beer in in a very real sense, you know, that, that they're, that they're here. I mean, they can touch the barrels. They shouldn't touch the barrels. Um, I mean, we need to just remind everybody who's listening. If you go to a brewery and you see barrels that are not just there for show, keep your hands to yourself. It's kindergarten not, rules. Do yeah. not shove your jacket between the barrels. You've had that happen. I have had that happen. And, and, and people don't realize the, 
<laughs> how dangerous that is. I mean, that jacket getting pulled out could pull a bung out with it. And yeah. if I don't notice it, uh, that's potentially thousands of dollars worth of beer down the drain for us. Um, and I mean, I, I, there's some people who would come back and say, well, then, you know, don't let them near your barrels or don't have your barrel room open or put it, put it somewhere else. Well, we hear stuff like that all the time. You know, why is your place here? You know, uh-huh. as, as if I'm just like Scrooge McDuck and I could just p- put it wherever I want. You know, you don't have the bin where yeah. you go swimming in your coins. Yeah, uh, uh, it's bottle caps. Um, I have a lot of cuts. Well played. Yeah. Well played. And that's an excellent <laughs> idea. Um, but, but nobody bottles anymore. Come on. Yeah. Man. It's all pop tops. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's another whole conversation. Yeah. Well, not. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the fact is there's a lot of people who come here who who do think that the barrel stack is fake. I mean, we get asked that all the time. Um, I don't know that I've ever been to a place that had a fake barrel stack, but I imagine that some must exist. I have. Yeah. We'll, um, we'll talk about it later. But, um, but no, they're, they're, they're real and, um, they could easily be destroyed. Um, and you know, so that's an interesting thing though, because like if you were open more to the public, if you were open on Saturdays, if you were doing that whole thing, it could probably lead to situations you're just increasing the likelihood that something bad would happen but when, yeah i mean when, when you have these limited hours you can kind of control it a little bit better yeah and we've set up a situation now where people sort of expect a certain level of inaccessibility from us um in what way and just being able to come here okay you know um it's super easy to get to right yeah. <laughs> um and and just wandering around the neighborhood with my phone up, trying to figure <laughs> out like where this one way you know, dead end street, you know, behind the, the construction. The actual marker from Google or whatever is pretty accurate. Okay. It's, you know, I, I, I've <laughs> I've had to tell many people I know it looks like it's leading you to certain destruction, but it is accurate. It yeah. is accurate. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, we do have a situation where um, if if I want to announce another another day. Um, 24 hours in advance, people will show up. Um, and I think that that's, uh, I mean, that's one of the wonders of, of social media. If these you days. announce something 24 hours, people will show up. Not that they will come here and sit outside of your place for 24 hours in advance is what you mean. No, no. I, like, um, after this conversation at some point, I will post that we'll be open tomorrow. Okay. And people will show up tomorrow at the time we say okay. we're open. They, they, yeah. They're not going to show up now and then wait for 24 no, hours. No, luckily we don't have okay, any that kind of action. Like, yeah. yeah. You yeah. don't have a McDonald's across the street that people can go in and use the bathroom. <laughs> we haven't had any chairs yet. We, uh, you talked earlier um, about trying to find your own path or trying to find um, you know, the place where you can be creative. Mm-hmm. And so many of the breweries that you've mentioned earlier and so many of the beers uh, th- that you make are rooted in certain traditions mm-hmm. or are inspired by certain breweries where is your curiosity right now where do you hope that over the course of one year five years if time is a construct whatever but with the patience that you have and sort of the ability that you have to embrace that where are you looking to wander um it's a difficult question for me always because, you know, we, we are part of this long tradition and um, to an extent, um, 
I'm pretty dedicated to making relatively simple things. Um, you know, our, our, our beer recipes are ridiculously simple. Um, and generally speaking, uh, we're looking for that interaction between setting some kind of substrate out there and, and having, uh, this mixed culture, these microbes then to play on it. Um, and and cause all of those interesting layers of flavor and aroma and all that and 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 so that's that's the general course is just is just playing in that relatively small small realm um inspiration when it does come comes from uh just taste and thought um you know desire for something specific um, uh, an interaction with an ingredient or, um, like two things I could mention recently. Um, I opened an unbelievable bag of Vienna malt the other day. Okay. And maybe it's the same as all the other ones, but that one just did something. And, you know, it's one of those things where you're just like, I should maybe I should do an all Vienna beer at like a weight that's going to accentuate that, what I like about that malt. And maybe I should hop it this way with these hops to do these things to make the culture produce this or that, you know? And that was just like, I'm, I'm literally loading the grain mill for a beer we're making and, and you know, and just hits you in a certain way. Yeah. It was just like, this is, damn, this is phenomenal, you know? And, and so that's, that's, that's one that sticks out. Another one was, um, at some point in the past, I can't remember where I got it and I, I want to find out, but, um, I, I had this, this packet of, I believe it was, uh, um, a Syrian version of a, um, not English breakfast. What's the other one? Um, anyway, it was a tea. Okay. Um, and I have no idea why this particular version of this loose tea uh, had such amazing aroma. But I opened this box and was just blown away at like the beautiful floral nuance and all of this that this, this, this tea had. Uh, Earl Grey, that's the one I'm looking for. Okay. Earl Grey. Um, so yeah, I opened this Earl Grey and, and just knocked over by it. Um, and so the first thing I think is like, you know, is there a way to express this in a beer without, you know, running roughshod over it or, yeah. or, you know, whatever, um, where does this fit in, in, um, in, in what we're doing? Does it fit at all? You know, but it's like, it's one of those things that you, um, Sometimes you, sometimes you hit things and you're like, that's beautiful, but it can stay right there. I don't need to interact with it at all. Other times you hit something and you're like, that's beautiful. I like want to play with it somehow. You know what I mean? And it could be, uh, you know, an aroma, it could be a taste, it could be any number of things. But how do you play with something when, because there's some breweries that have the luxury of running trials at their brewery or running something through a brew house, or uh, there's some breweries that have, you know, the, the, the luxury of just 
you know, resources, that kind of thing. You have a couple of fermenters back here. You have a, a, a bunch of barrels. When you find something that you want to screw around with, are you doing it on a small homebrew scale to... No, no. You're just going to kind of... Yeah, I, I, I would... I would generally pretty much wing it. Um, uh, that's 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 a bad terminology. That was funny to say, but it's not accurate. Okay. I, I would actually approach it very, very carefully. Well, gonna, <laughs> right, because you don't have the luxury of... No, no. Um, but, but it would... Even short-term screw-ups, yeah. It would be doing... So it would be doing something like um, doing a whole lot of research about tea and brewing, um doing a bunch of different steeping trials okay. with the tea, um, coming up with some form of relatively safe number for an addition, uh, doing it at the right time, you know, flame out or in Whirlpool or something like that, and then paying a lot of attention to how that fermentation's going and knowing, well we need to dry tea a little bit trying increments okay we did this much not quite there got this interesting aroma thing we want to push that more okay we're going to double that and then just sitting on that and waiting for that moment where it says okay this is the, this is a thing now and then you know hopefully it goes through packaging and everything and and it, and it works out fine um but I also I also am am um, relatively forgiving of of things being not quite exactly perfect. I I I'm not a huge believer in 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 perfection in the way that it gets talked about in brewing a lot, um, and I think some of that comes from again that philosophy of farmhouse brewing and and lambic and things like that. It's you're you're interacting with so many massive things, you know, I mean, even, even the, even the individual taster has so much going on when they get to that glass of beer, you know, um, probably even going down to like gut microbiome, you yeah. know, um, we just have to, or I feel like I have to accept at a certain point that like I have a certain bias in taste other people are going to taste totally differently than me. I hope that my beers are pleasurable to a broad scope of people. But ultimately, my main barometer is it just has to be delicious. It doesn't have to necessarily be categorically perfect. It does have to be delicious. We're drinking this beer in formal number four that you put down in front of us. This is now the third bottle that we've opened during the show. And we don't often talk about the beers that we're drinking, but uh, according to the back of it, it's a blend of one-year-old barrel-aged gold nails, which was re-fermented on whole New Jersey cranberries, shout out to the Garden State, uh, and conditioned naturally. And then you finish by saying on this 6% ABV beer, we're happy to share this moment with you. Yeah. And everything that you just described, I think, speaks to it as well. Because we can look at a beer from an analytical standpoint. We can look to a beer for a, you know, does it hit certain hallmarks? Is it cranberry tart enough? Is it, you know, is the barrel showing through and all of that? These are all just moments. Mm -hmm. And if we're not checking our phone and going into Untapped, or if we're not busy 
thinking about what else we're going to order. When I get the question a lot of, you know, what's the best beer you ever had? I have to talk about, it, it, it's an impossible question to answer, first of all, but like, but I always, I often think of moments more than the beer itself. Sure. The beer always becomes secondary or tertiary um, in those situations. But when you're saying, we're happy to share this moment with you, are you thinking of beer in the same way? Are you thinking of beer as an extension of what's happening for the drinker? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think, um, I think that on the label is a, a nod one to the early days, um, you know, being homebrewers making what for homebrewers is, is, you know, or was relatively adventurous beer. Um, and the only times that anyone would really have it for the most part would be when we shared it with them. Right. So there was a time where almost no one drank anything I made that wasn't standing in front of me. Yeah. Right. Um, and those were mostly great moments, you know, um, <laughs> it was, it was, a a weird time where a lot of these things, you know, most people didn't have much connection to, they'd heard about it. They'd maybe had one. Um, and you bring this thing over and you talk about it and, and why it tastes the way it does. And you talk about what they taste and what you taste, but you know, maybe you get a moment of, of surprise or, um, they relate it to something that was another experience they had that they enjoyed. And like, that's cool to talk about. So I think from early days, it, it was about sharing moments to a certain extent and it was about context and um it is all about life you know i mean you're you're we're not doing any of this in a vacuum you know um and i like to think that um at least some of what we make um you know is for sitting down in the right situation with the right folks and enjoying a moment, you know? Um, and I, yeah, I think that's, that's, that's important. It's, it's, it's not just, um, about, uh, when you browse, uh, uh, websites that have beer or wine, you know, and it's always like the perfect white background behind uh -huh. the bottle. Yeah. I feel like that's gotten into people's brains or something where like, that's, that's, that's how they see these products is existing on a white background and it, in Janet's void. Yeah. It, it, it never exists. Um, and, and so I don't know what the moment is, um, but I sure hope they enjoyed it. <laughs> well, I enjoyed this. Thanks for sitting down with me. This yeah, was a yeah. lot of fun. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me down here. And, uh, anytime, whenever you're open, people should come by and visit and drink some bottles here because yeah, you don't, you don't let bottles out. Uh, very few. Yes. Very few. There, well, there's, there's very few of everything <laughs> at this point. Um, <laughs> But yeah, uh, Thursdays from 5.30 to 10 are the main times we're open and other times via Instagram and Facebook. So Cool. Thanks again, Ethan. Yeah, I appreciate thank you. it. My thanks to Ethan Tripp for allowing me to hang out among his barrels for the better part of an afternoon a few weeks back. Follow them on social media, and when all the restrictions are lifted, check out when they are open and stop by for a proper visit. It's not a space made for social distancing, but the beers he's pouring there deserve your attention. I've also posted a picture of that bottle opener he was talking about on our Instagram page. You can check that out at the Beer Edge. 
I've really dug all the emails and messages you all sharing during your time in uh, isolation, and we really are in this together. And I'm happy that this show, along with the Beer Edge podcast, has found a way into your at-home routines. Don't forget to leave a review online to help others folks find the podcast. You know who it is, Nate Schweber. He's the man who did the music. Jeff Quinn designed the logo. Andy Crouch is over on the Beer Edge podcast, and you should listen to that every week, new episodes every Friday. And if you want to know about advertising on the show, reach out to Ryan Newhouse. He may be reached at ryan at beeredge.com. And speaking of that, this show is sponsored by New Holland Brewing. Did you know that the term dragon's milk has been around since the 17th century? It was used to describe potent ales and elixirs that were worthy of celebration, a reward at the end of a perilous journey. New Holland Brewing Company is proud to continue that tradition with Dragon's Milk family of beers. Whether it's the original bourbon barrel aged stout or the mysterious Dragon Milk White, a white stout aged in bourbon barrels and then brewed with chocolate, coffee, and vanilla, the legend of Dragon's Milk continues to grow. We'll raise a glass to that. Learn more at dragonsmilk.com. The show is also sponsored by Sweetwater Brewing. Sweetwater has been independently brewing tasty brews in the heart of Atlanta since 1997. Next time you're stocking up on essentials, grab a 6 or 12 pack of the always fresh, always heady OG Sweetwater IPA, the one in the yellow pack. Lays down hints of grapefruit and pine on the palate with a clean, bright finish. It's the go-to brew you need to order without having to look at the menu. And if you need something easy drinking, reach for the classic 420 Extra Pale Ale, tried, tested, and true. A tasty West Coast-style Extra Pale Ale with a stimulating hop character, and that finishes with a nice, clean, crisp, easy taste. The world might be on fire right now, but you can't go wrong with a couple of craft OGs from Sweetwater. Hit up their beer finder at sweetwaterbrew.com find. And of course, we're sponsored by Beer Edge and produced by the Beer Edge, the newsletter for beer professionals. Help support beer journalism covering this industry that we care about so much by subscribing to the twice-weekly newsletter. Learn more at our revamped website, beeredge.com. Thanks to their support of the show and to yours for listening. We're going to put out new episodes every Wednesday, and that's when I'll be back to drink beer and to think beer. I hope you'll tune in. And for now, take care and go raid that beer cellar.